HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by The Great Grow Along. Sign up at greatgrowalong.com. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all the previous episodes can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. It kind of snuck up on me this week, but this is episode number 200 of Feast Your Ears. So for those of you that are just finding the show, you've got a lot of catching up to do. I'm thankful for listeners like you, and I'd love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. For those of you with kids at home, or if you know any kids, I'd like to be so bold as to suggest you check out my other podcast. Along with my co-host, Hannah Forden, the program manager at HRN, we've created Time for Lunch, a fun, food-focused show for kids. We'd love it if you'd check it out wherever you get your podcasts. I'd like to remind listeners that Heritage Radio is a nonprofit, and we need your help to stay on the air. If you enjoy this show and listen to the other great podcasts we produce every week, please find your way to heritageradionetwork.org donate to make your gift. Today's theme... More, better, coffee. When I was a kid, it was all 8 o'clock and Folgers. The best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. I don't even know if they still run that commercial. Coffee came in a can, already ground. My parents drank it, and I thought it was gross. When I was 15, we moved to Northern California, where, in the early 90s, the coffee shop had started to become an important part of the social fabric. Back in Petaluma, we used to hang out at the Brickhouse Cafe, the Apple Box, and Cafe Passport. We were too young for the bar scene, and the coffee shop welcomed us. We started learning about things like macchiatos and lattes. Coffee was more than just black sludge in a cup, though it still did have that going for it. And of course, me, like so many people, are addicted to caffeine. I can't get up without it. Back then, it seemed that it was the pinnacle of coffee. The Apple Box was the first place I encountered a coffee roaster, and they roasted on site, and they ground the coffee fresh for each cup, whether it was espresso or pour-over. Little did we know how far it would come in the next three decades. Now it's commonplace to talk about the coffee, the grower, the roaster, the grind, the grinder, the water temperature, the pressure, and the ratio. A few weeks ago, I got on the phone with Sum and Kalina from Coffee Project New York. They started as a small neighborhood shop in the East Village, determined to make the best coffee for their friends and neighbors, but they couldn't stop there. As the business started to grow and they saw a need for advancement for their employees, they launched more shops as well as a training center in Long Island City that hosts classes all about coffee and certifies baristas and coffee professionals through the Specialty Coffee Association. Check them out 
at coffeeprojectny.com and learn more about coffee. So my name is Sum, just like S-U-M, Summer, Sum, uh, and I'm the co-founder of Coffee Project New York. All right, and my name is Kalina, uh, Kalina Chiu, um, and I am also the co-founder of Coffee Project New York. Awesome, and you guys are both from Malaysia, is that right? That is correct. And did you know each other in Malaysia, or did you meet in New York? We met in Malaysia. Got it. We're both, uh, we used to be college mates. Ah, cool. So yeah, so tell me a little bit about how the two of you met and how you decided to go into business together and start the coffee project. Ah, this, um, it's way back. Um, so Kalina and I met officially for the first time when we were doing a mentoring program for our by UNICEF. So it's called Mentoring Malaysia, uh, where we are mentoring a group of uh, teenagers who are from schools that is that has less resources and has a tendency of like, um, like they are looking for someone to, it's very similar to the Brothers and Sisters uh, program in New York City. Got it. Um, so that's exact, that's how we met. Um, I think we went to different uh, school to mentor a different group. Am I right, Kalina? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, it's a UNICEF-funded program, and uh, we were just volunteering um, at the program as mentors. Uh, we were, I think, I, I don't even remember, <laughs> are we in the same school, <laughs> different school? <laughs> we go way back, like this, we're talking what? We're talking about, this is at least like 15 years ago, 14, 15 years so. ago? I think so, 14, 15 years ago. Got it, got it, got it, got it. So yeah. it's been, and, and it, you know, and, and clearly you guys have done a lot together since then, so... <laughs> too much, too much, Harry. <laughs> um, so, so tell me a little bit. I mean, okay. So this was back in Malaysia. You guys met in Malaysia, and then did you decide to do a project around coffee in New York in Malaysia, or did that come later? How did the coffee project get started? Actually, that came way later. Um, we were just pretty much just acquaintance back home. And then uh, we both moved to New York. Uh, she came here for school. I came here for work. And then uh, we met again in New York City. So once we get together, we both have different jobs as well back then, but we were um, hanging out, roommates, you know, and then down the line, we started dating and then we see each other and we got together. And that's how we decided to start a coffee uh a coffee project together. Um, so it was something that we decided to do it in New York. Um, and it was because we were both, um, we both wanted to do something together as a little project. Um, and therefore we choose coffee. We both like coffee and we like to hang out in cafes. Yeah, maybe Kalina has anything to add on to that. <laughs> no, that, that, that is uh, essentially what it is. Um, so we started dating uh, a few years in, and we were at a point, I guess, in our career. Back then, some was in IT. Uh, I was in social work, mm. and we're both at a at a point of a career where we feel like we wanted something different, uh, mm. but we wanted to do something together also. And coffee seems to be, you know, a good choice. <laughs> and then we just quit our jobs and dive right in. 
Got it. So you didn't have any, uh, you didn't really have experience in the coffee space before starting the coffee project. What was your sort of entry into it? I mean, I guess now I would love to hear a little bit about what coffee project does, because I've looked at the website and it's really, it's really interesting. It, you know, you guys do, uh, you've got training for baristas. You did a project in February um, where you uh, collaborated with Chobani on a scholarship program uh, to sort of offer six African-American coffee professionals scholarships to attend a barista training program, which I think is really, you know, that's very forward thinking and really cool. So tell me a little bit about like, what was the genesis of the coffee project? What does the coffee project do? And why did you want to start it? Like what was, what was missing in the coffee space, did you think? Um, so initially, like back then when we first started in coffee, like started coffee project, um, our goals is just to have like a mom and pop coffee shop, mm. uh, to serve coffee, you know, hang out with the neighbors and talk about stuff. Think about like a bar setting where you go to a bar and hang out with your bartenders over a cup of, uh, like a, a glass of wine or beer. And we want to do the same thing, but in a coffee setting. Uh, um, I see. Yeah. Uh, that's our initial goal but uh down the line as we venture deeper into the coffee industry we realized that we're working with a lot of young adults or um people who are really passionate about coffee um but being one shop alone we weren't able to provide a lot of growth for our team members because if they were to do more in this coffee shop it's literally going to take our place and <laughs> we will have like nothing else to do. They will, you know, uh, and we both like making coffee and we like meeting people. We like the hospitality part of being in a coffee culture. So um, the first turnaround was pretty hard for us where we have these baristas going to different places, taking up a uh, bigger coffee position. And then Kalina and I thought about like, hey, how about we, maybe it's time for us to, provide a pathway for growth uh, for our team members. Um, if not, then they will just be a barista for the rest of the two years and three years, and then they will just have to go somewhere else to uh, to do something else. Right, that's a very like the, Danny Meyer, yeah. like, I mean, I, Danny Meyer writes about like how, you know, he opened like Gramercy Tavern, I think, because he didn't want to lose great staff. He wanted to give yeah. them opportunities, yeah. right? Yeah, it's very similar to that. So we started our second location where we have our baristas from the first location take up managerial roles. And then once we have the second location, we start talking to more and more of our team members. And eventually they start telling us that this is not just what they want to do. Um, I mean, being in the barista is great. Managing a role is great. But we started hearing people who want to like compete in barista uh, coffee championships. Uh, we started hearing people who were like, hey, I want to roast coffee. I want to teach. I want to learn a little bit more so and then it, we have our location now which is in long island city uh where we roast our own coffee and the campus uh, the specialty coffee association campus so just to have we mentioned something really important i feel like maybe Kalina can have a lot more input in this that what what is the thing that is missing back then that caused that made us wanted to start a lab um, or a community spot in the roastery. It's really because we're really missing a place like this in New York City. Do you think mm. I'm, am I saying it right, Kalina? Yeah, um, like 
just just piggybacking on, on what some is saying, I guess when we first started, uh, our goal was really just a mom and pop coffee shop. We just want to be able to, you know, make a coffee, you know, work together. And, you know, that coffee dream where you where you, um, you know, I like work six days a week and I have one day off. You are, you know, the boss of your own business. <laughs> Never happened, by yeah. the way. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so like a, a really wise friend back then told us that uh, your business is uh, eventually going to have its own um, life. It's going to take its own form, mm. and it kind of did. Uh, that's sort of what happened to us. I feel um, during I think the second or the third month in, um, we were mentioned by Time Out New York. And we started, like, things started taking off uh, from mm-hmm. there. We, so some did mention that we, we had our first real turnover. <laughs> so we both worked seven days a week mm. back then. We started hiring, I think, our first employee probably about, uh, I think, two months in or three months in. So we, we didn't hire anyone because we couldn't afford to right. also at the very right. beginning. Uh, <laughs> We were just, you know, we, we hired our first employee and then uh, like I think a year and a year and a half, I think down the road, uh, when you lose uh, your employees, you know, it, it, it's a very, it, it's a very tough, uh, it's a tough pill to swallow. You're like, what did I do wrong? Right, but, right. Um, but knowing that they're actually looking for, you know, a bigger and better uh, position, uh, they're looking for growth. And we totally understand that we were then, <laughs> you know, and that's why it started, uh, it gets us thinking, what, what do we, what can we do um, as a company to provide that? Uh, hence, we have a second location in Brooklyn. Um, and then the third location came about uh, when some just like some mentioned, we spoke to our team. Most of them are uh, full-time coffee professionals. So this is really the career path that they, they want to take. And I think conversations uh, that we have with our employees guided a lot of our, our decision-making when it comes to how we are going to grow the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, we realized that there's a, a lack of formal coffee education in New York. So Specialty Coffee Association is the organization that governs uh, all specialty coffee related stuff like research, Mm. um, like standards, you know, these are the temperature that you should be using just because, you know, because the coffee will taste good, you know, at this temperature. Uh, These are the coffee to water ratios that you should be using. Mm. What happened uh, is that we realized in New York City, most people got their coffee education through the shop that they worked at, which is, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But that also means that uh, everyone's background and experience is very different depending right. on which shop you work in. Uh, so when we, when we started diving really deep, into coffee education, we realized that why don't we have that in New York? Because in the West Coast, you'll find tons of coffee schools. Um, we had to fly to Florida to, to get our certification hmm. when we decided to, to get certified. Um, so we're like, hey, we're, we're, we're in New York. Like, how can we not have a coffee school? 
So that's, that's why we decided when we have our third location, we are going to create a space uh, where it's, you know, very welcoming for all, like, it's not just baristas, it's just anyone who really wants to learn about coffee. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, you know, yeah. how we became I love what that. we are. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's so interesting to think about because <clears throat> for a very long time, you know, I always felt like we were behind in New York. I mean, I felt like there were places to get really good coffee in New York. And there were, I mean, I knew many, many committed coffee professionals, but I always looked forward to a trip to the West Coast because I felt like the coffee was better and I could never really put my finger on why. But I feel like you just explained it in that there were people on the West Coast who were getting together outside of their singular shop and sharing knowledge and sharing techniques and kind of creating standards around what coffee should be as an industry rather than just in an individual location. I have a funny story to share, actually, when it comes to that. Um, So I got my formal coffee education initially from West Coast in Portland to be exact. So when I first started Coffee Project in East Village with Kalina, I have this big mind of like wanting to do espresso tasting where people can get one single uh, one single origin espresso and one double espresso as a flight. So my, my, my menu was like espresso flights and I'm not gonna serve drip coffee, only espresso-based drink with single origin pour over, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And when I, plan out everything I wanted to launch, I realized that this is so foreign to everyone in the East Coast, especially (laughs) even in New York City. It's like people are not used to going to a coffee shop, sit down and enjoy an espresso flight. They are more towards like grab and go, give me an iced coffee, you know? (laughs) Um, So I'm like, oh my God, what have I done in my life? But one short period of my time, I'm like, clean up. Kalina, I don't know what to do now. What should I do? Should I rent the entire menu? And then we start buying this drip machine from like this crazy place and just put it in and then that serving drip, which is 12 ounce only, don't even have any extra size. Um, but we, we learn a long way. Like as we start Coffee Project, that's how we started talking to our customer and then we, we listen. This is so important. We listen. We listen to what they want. They want a bigger coffee. Great. And they want um, things that is like not for into them, like be a little bit more welcoming or like don't make them feel like they don't know coffee. So and therefore, that's how we evolve into whatever coffee project it is right now. But back then it was quite a rough path for me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. New Yorkers are so into their grab and go. So I grew up in New York and then lived in Northern California as a teenager in the early 90s. And I remember so clearly my father threw a fit because the local coffee shop had, you know, 12 different kinds of beans that they roasted themselves. <laughs> and when you ordered a coffee, the barista like oh. put a scoop in the bin and weighed it out <laughs> and then ground it and it was pour over. And he was like, yeah. you know, he was like tearing his hair out. He was like, I just want a cup of coffee in my hand like 20 seconds after I hand you the money. I don't care about any of this. He just wanted his caffeine. So I I want to talk a little bit about that, right? That also people have these different relationships to coffee. Um, And I, I mean, even me personally, I find I have a different relationship to coffee, even like day to day or even at different times of the day. Like when I first wake up at six o'clock and I need to like get my kids ready for school, I just want caffeine as fast as possible. 
Like, and I like having a good coffee and usually I make an espresso, but really it's about the caffeine. And then like in the afternoon, I like have the time to maybe like have a good espresso or make a Chemex and that kind of thing. So I'm interested to hear from you guys as professionals who train baristas in this, um, like what do you guys think about that? And how do you think about coffee and the way your customers want to have their coffee? Mm. Um, you want to go for Salida? I I think well in New York itself, um, like you mentioned, it's a very grab and go culture. So I feel like from Monday to Friday, where people actually go to work. Um, well, not now, right? COVID, <laughs> right? But like in the past, or or uh, it now it's, it's starting to get a little better. I have to, I have to re- I'm going to rephrase that. So it's getting a little better. It's sort of going back to that. You know, I need to grab my morning coffee, and what people really care is the caffeine. I'm not going to lie, um, but weekends, you know, when people have a little more time, uh, I feel like there there's this this crowd that is growing in terms of, you know, appreciating coffee. Um, so, so our way of uh, trying to slide that in is, for example, uh, in the past, we came out with um, uh, the deconstructed latte. First, an espresso shot, uh, steamed milk, and then the latte itself. Uh, we pair it with like a little cookie and sparkling water as a palate cleanser. So to us, it's it's sort of still like our way of trying to maintain what we wanted to do. We wanted to uh, create, like be this, this, this place where people can appreciate coffee and understand what, what goes behind um, preparing a good cup of latte for example because right. you have like people who had lattes their whole life but never really had you know a shot of espresso it's it's a lot to ask people to order a shot of espresso in the shop when they only drink lattes mm. uh, but when you when you break it down and present it in a very welcoming way uh it's to to me it's easier for people to accept it and of course it's also an instagram era so it looks pretty yep. and people want to come and take a look at it and take a picture <laughs> at it and try it. So it's sort of like our way of sliding into, hey, you know, uh, you can appreciate, you know, uh, good quality, specialty, great coffee. Um, if, if, you know, even if you just drink a latte usually. So I feel like Monday to Friday is still definitely um, like I want my caffeine and let's go uh sort of sort of idea so even when we're training uh baristas and when we are training our own baristas or we're training for other other people's company we always tell people hey you need to work with a sense of urgency uh especially Mm -hmm. because you're in new york uh regardless you need to follow all these rules you know to make sure that you pull a good shot of espresso uh have good quality like milk foam put them together properly uh but do it and do it in an efficient manner. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think there's also a balance out to it. This might sound really new for a lot of us, but since COVID, um, like how people are not going out or like some shops are not open, some coffee shops are not open, um, we have been um, in a ritual, like we're going to get a coffee in a coffee shop has been a a ritual for a lot of people to kickstart that day. Mm. Like 
I speak to, I've spoke to a lot of our customers, our regulars who come in and say, hey, thanks for opening, staying open, because um, this is, this feels like the only normalcy in my life at the moment where I'm going into a coffee shop, grab a cup of coffee and talk to your baristas. Mm. And when I hear that, I feel like, yeah, actually, let's not forget also a big part of coffee culture, grabbing go caffeine is also hospitality and also um that whole experience on how you hand that cup of coffee to your customer, like how do you make them feel? Like what I what Camino always tell everyone is like sometimes, especially in New York City, you could be the only one that these people in New York City are seeing more than their family members because right. a lot of us comes from different places, you know. This episode is brought to you by The Great Grow Along, a three-day hosted virtual garden festival connecting you with the influencers, tastemakers, and cutting-edge content of today's gardening world. The Great Grow Along will feature 40-plus sessions on topics ranging from houseplants to DIY landscaping. New plant parents and first-time gardeners will gain practical advice and creative inspiration from celebrated garden experts and industry leaders. Costing $29.95, tickets allow attendees to mix and match a wide range of sessions or choose to follow one of the conference's six tracks, which include edible gardening, urban gardening, pollinators and plants, DIY landscaping, houseplants, and dig deeper. The Great Grow Along will take place March 19th through 21st, 2021. Sign up at greatgrowalong.com. I want to ask about what, you know, because especially in New York, it is such a grab and go culture, um, you know, I'm hoping that people who are listening to this discussion, uh, you know, might be convinced to think a little bit about, you know, like what goes into making a cup of coffee. So I would love if you could sort of describe to me the, the people involved, the materials, the equipment involved to like get one of your, like your deconstructed latte uh, into the hands of a customer. Because I think that um, in the world that we live in now, it is so important. I mean, I think COVID kind of, for me anyway, drew this into focus that, you know, it is important to think about the people that are involved and that just thinking of people who are in a service industry that for such a long time and even sometimes now we kind of gloss over as just being like there, right? They're workers. They're just serving your, you know, you as the consumer. They don't even have a face or a name sometimes. But those are the people who during COVID were really putting themselves and still are putting themselves out there and being in a public place where other people have the ability to stay home. And so I would love to understand, you know, who are all the people involved in that process? Yeah, so I think um, although we're talking a lot about the front end uh, baristas that we do, but a lot of times when you go to a coffee shop and ask for a cup of coffee, um, coffee don't just come in a bag. You have to yeah. go all the way back to like people who actually work on harvesting the beans itself from the producing country. You know, um, from yeah. there you have people who like work despite of COVID, like a lot of like tension, stress that's going on in the producing country. And have it sometimes, all bagged up. Yeah. yeah. War, okay, sometimes. Yeah. 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 So, mm-hmm. so I, I just want to piggyback on that a little bit. Um, so when we talk about a cup of coffee, and this is also some of like a very important point that we always point out to our baristas, 
you're not just a barista. Um, you are the last link to the coffee supply chain. So mm. I guess the most important message that we want people to understand is when you get a cup of coffee, uh, like some said, it doesn't just come in a bag. Uh, you actually have to think um, coffee is a fruit. Um, it is a fruit where farmers, especially uh, especially specialty coffee growing farmers, uh, they have to work really hard on taking care uh, of this plant, uh, making sure that it grows. And when it's uh, ripened, so coffee goes through a very similar process like wine. It needs to be fermented. So when this fruit is grown and has ripened, uh, it's actually hand-picked. So they, the, the problem with coffee is that they don't ripen at the same time, even though they grow in the same brunch. Mm. So you, you would need to have uh, coffee growers uh, or like cherry pickers to go around and pick only the ripened cherries uh, to ensure the quality of your coffee. So very labor intensive. It needs to be fermented. People need to take care of it. And then, of course, carefully uh, dried package um it is also the second largest trade in the world so uh a lot of a lot of effort goes into getting this mm. item from the country of origin to where we're at you know so there's mm. this whole coffee supply chain that we are um keeping in mind and of course when it gets here your roaster uh, tries to roast the coffee to its best potential Right. Um, and then your barista, like especially that you mentioned, Harry, during COVID time, during a pandemic, you know, these are people who uh, is really passionate about what uh, what they're doing. So, you know, like they wake up really early in the morning. Uh, most of them have to take subways uh, mm. to get to work. They don't drive. Um, and when they're at work, uh, you know, they, they make sure that everything uh, besides the coffee standard is up to standard, uh, you know, the, the hygiene is up to standard. So there's a lot of um, stress uh, that goes on to our baristas too, um, in order <laughs> to get that cup of coffee in front of you in the morning. Yeah, right. and given that amount of stress that they can still like keep up to the standard that we want and still hand that cup of coffee to you and care about you, asking you, how do you do this morning? Good morning. It's a lot coming from our end as baristas and front end people. Sometimes a cup of coffee is just a cup of coffee and sometimes it's more than that. And I want people to kind of understand that um, and and be aware of that. I wanted to, to bring up um, a couple of other things and talk about the fact that, uh, you know, you are both immigrants to the United States and what it is like to be uh, an immigrant starting a business, working with a product that comes from outside the country, and then also being women, like I, you know, like in an industry that seems to me to be at least from the outside looking in. And I've had other baristas and other coffee companies on this show before. Seems to be getting more. There's more equality maybe than in some places and more than there was in the past, but coffee still feels pretty male dominated. It's actually uh, still true right now. Um, but thank you for bringing this up, Harry. It's very dear to us, this topic. I just shared this with a couple of friends a while back when we were talking about how we started Coffee Project back then in East Village. Um, 
But when we first started diving into the specialty coffee industry and making coffee, it really didn't come into our mind that it would matter to us or to this industry that we are women, mm. that we're a minority, that we're an immigrant. We just want to like focus on a product and chunk out good coffee and hang out with the neighbors, right? Um, but there are a couple of incidents when we started, like we literally saw people opening up the door, going in, and then saw two Asian women behind bar and just leave. Mm. Um, yeah, so at that point, it didn't hit us yet. It's like, oh, maybe we just thought they went to the wrong place for coffee. But the more we speak to people who are in the industry right now, the more I realize that that's true, that I have to work a lot harder. And Kalina and I have to do a lot more to be where we're at today. Right. You know, um, to prove ourselves. So a lot of education. So the things that we're saying right now, it's uh, we need to have a lot of facts to back this up. Like, why do I say this? And why do you have to listen to this? That's because I've gone through this much of experience that I can share it with you. Um, but mm. it, it was rough. It was pretty rough. Yeah. yeah, it's so interesting that you say that. I just heard a piece the other day on the radio talking about uh, female scientists and how there was a study done uh, at a bunch of at a number of different scientific conferences that found that female scientists presenting their work in their papers got asked way more questions and way more questions, basically trying to pick apart their work than male mm -hmm. scientists presenting their work at the same conferences. Exactly. Yeah. So the whole point about why Coffee Project New York is doing everything they were doing right now in the coffee industry, uh, aside from whatever they were doing, contributing to the society, is how we are uh, then how we are doing our parts to know coffee, like education, mm -hmm. going to competition. We're not trying to tell people that we can do everything that everyone else can do. Like for me, I'm just going to focus on doing my part as a coffee professional, not thinking much. But when you go to the national stage, you do realize that everyone who roasts coffee is male dominant, mainly. Mm -hmm. uh, you do realize that it is of a certain race and things like that. But now they come together a little bit more to me and it's like, yeah, I didn't realize that all these hurdles that Kalina and I have to go through back then could possibly because that we are doing something that is not uh, from our background, like hmm. specialty coffee is not a thing in Malaysia. We do different types of coffee, you know, a lot of things like that. Do you source any of your coffee uh, beans from Malaysia? We don't at the moment mm. uh, because uh, we don't grow Arabica. We mm. grow uh, another different uh, species called Liberica, and it's very hard to get our hands on, actually. Uh, interesting. Is that something that, I mean, would you like to be able to offer that? I also noticed you guys do tea uh, as well. Yes, uh, that is uh, just because we always have people come into a coffee shop and like order a bunch of coffee. They're like, hey, I need a break. Do you have tea? <laughs> <laughs> So therefore, we have our key options. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, so uh, you know, do you do you feel like the coffee uh, industry as a whole 
um, has become more inclusive? And is it collaborative? Something that has come up uh, over the years that I've been hosting this show and talking with a lot of chefs is, especially in New York, this idea that maybe you know, 20 years ago, chefs did not share information. They were very guarded about if they had a fish supplier or a meat supplier or a farm they were working with or a technique they were employing or dishes on the menu, but that over the last 20 years, that has changed a lot. And now you have restaurants who you know, will freely share ideas and supply information and that kind of thing. You know, And I'm not going to get into restaurant closures and COVID and that stuff, but I'm wondering if that's also true in coffee. Like in your years in coffee, have you seen a change? Are coffee companies and, and your, your uh, I guess, counterparts at other coffee chain, small chains or coffee companies in New York, do you guys collaborate or is there, you know, is there not a lot of communication? Uh, I think there's definitely a lot of changes in the coffee industry as well. Collaboration has been a thing that's going on right now. So we no longer are a coffee shop. We are a community in the coffee industry in New York right. City. So a lot of the people are starting to like different coffee shops collab together to uh, do an event or like uh, work on something. So uh, uh, resources is getting a little bit more accessible for everyone. Um, so like a lot of coffee shops are uh, business owner that I know who runs a coffee shop, for example, we share resources. Like where do you get your cups from? How does, how is it priced? Is the delivery fee, uh, how's the delivery and all that. So um, I think this is one part that I feel uh, a little bit, it's better compared to like years ago where we were trying to source on our own. Now we have people to talk to and we're also happy to be sharing our resources with uh, the public as well. Yeah, absolutely true. I feel like uh, we definitely operate more like a community, like a coffee mm. community, um, even sharing information or promoting, you know, our green importers sometimes. You know, we work with smaller green importing companies. Uh, we want to support them. So when other companies like ask, oh, where do you get this bean from? You know, we try to share information because only when the whole Again, the whole uh, supply chain does well. Uh, we will do well. Mm. That's a great. That's a really great point. That you know, even though you guys are the end of the supply chain, uh, that really it is about making sure that you can still get that product in the future, right? And I, you know, definitely looking at like the big coffee companies. I mean, you know, I. I spend a lot of time in New England and, you know, like looking at a place like Dunkin' Donuts, right, where they're cranking out, you know, millions of cups of coffee a day and thinking about like, what does that mean for their supply chain? And what does that mean for the farmers and the harvesters that you're talking about who have to go tree to tree and pick each fruit singularly yeah. right off the yeah. tree? I mean, you know, I, you know, it, it, it sort of, it, it seems like it's a, it's a race to the bottom unless they start to raise prices and raise awareness and start paying more. Yeah, uh, exactly. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Sustainability is, is huge right now in the coffee industry. Um, traceability, um, uh, what's the other words that they use right now? Um, transparency. Sure. Transparency. Uh, on, yeah. yeah. Transparency right now is also very, um, it's a big movement right now in coffee. Mm. So, uh, Sam, I wanted to ask in the pre-show questionnaire that I sent, uh, you said you would want to have dinner with Mother Teresa. And I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to ask what kind of coffee like, would you serve Mother Teresa? What do you think she would drink? <laughs> I think um, 
for such a simple and um, honest woman, um, I would probably just serve her a really good batch brew that we have in the store, and I would love to stick with her with the same batch brew. So the reason why I picked her to have dinner with is because I grew up reading everything that she wrote. Yeah, I remember, um, like, maybe I was like seven or eight years old, there's this one saying that someone graffitied in the bathroom, the school bathroom, but it was a, 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 a quote from her, which is great. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know it's a little disrespectful for the school and also for the quote, but um, it lives in me. And uh, growing up, I just followed that. It says something about the ocean, like everything we're doing, we think that it is a drop of water in the ocean. But little that we all know that without that drop of water in the ocean, the ocean is one drop lesser. And if and at seven or eight years old, I could resonate with that. And I, I realized that, oh, my gosh, I need to talk to this woman a little bit more. And then I realized that she's way too above me. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I would love to have coffee with this with my dispersa and really like dig her brain like talk to her a little bit more like how can we like really try to do this together yeah i love that uh <laughs> do either of you have any have any plans i mean i you know i i'm guessing you haven't been to malaysia in the last 12 months or so uh mm. are you hoping to get back to visit family once sort of the once everybody's vaccinated and stuff oh definitely absolutely what do you yeah. what do you what do you miss most i guess kalina i'll ask you this like what do you miss most uh about malaysia like is it weather is it food is it family <laughs> definitely not the weather yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you've been to malaysia but it is really hot no i <laughs> yes no I, I i i've never been there um the closest uh, the closest i've been is japan uh, in the summer okay. which growing up oh. in growing up in new york i thought i knew what it meant to be like hot and humid and then like being over in that part of the world i like could not believe it i was like it like th you know in, in new york in the summer when there's a thunderstorm like after the storm clears it feels really good, right? Like it's like all the humidity is like falling out of the air. And I could yeah. not believe that in like but Southeast Asia, like when it rains and thunderstorms, it's like worse after it's over. Like, yeah. like it's so every nuts. Every day. Yeah. Yeah, it's every day. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> definitely not the weather. <laughs> yeah. Not miss that part. Um, but like the, 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 the people, like our families uh, and the food, the food. Um, being in New York, we're actually quite lucky. It's still very accessible. You can go, you know, to a Malaysian restaurant to try to get something. But I went to school in Minnesota, uh, like during college, and boy, <laughs> that was hard. <laughs> like it's very difficult to find um, an Asian supermarket, <laughs> let alone a Malaysian restaurant. Right. So. Yeah, being uh, like the thing I miss most uh, about home is definitely uh, the people and the food. Uh, we we really wanted to go back home uh, last year, but then the pandemic hit and we sort of had to stay put. Yeah. <laughs> so mm -hmm. hopefully, you know, everyone gets vaccinated quickly enough and uh, we'll, we'll get to fly again very soon. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, I want to thank you both so much for taking the time to chat today. Uh, I'm so, you know, I, I have to commend you. I think the Coffee Project is doing, you know, really, really interesting stuff. Um, and I can't wait the next time I'm, you know, in one of the neighborhoods where you guys have a, have a shop to stop in for an espresso. Oh, thanks. Come Terry. Thank you. Yeah, come yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank yeah. you for having and, us. And I'll continue to keep up because it seems like, you know, it seems like you guys have, have been, you know, you, you continue to innovate, it seems to me. Uh, and it's only been, what, six years since you guys founded Coffee Project. So, uh, mm. you know, bet many, many more years of interesting things to come, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you both so much. Was there anything that you wanted to cover related to Coffee Project or coffee production or yourselves that you didn't feel like we got to? Um. I think we covered pretty much everything. Um, other than that, you mentioned about our Shabani scholarship, which yeah. I encourage uh, many, many of you to apply to and uh, uh, follow us um, on our Instagram to uh, see what we have for March because um, we have a lot of things going on to celebrate International Women's Day as well. Um, so that will be uh, that will be everything that we need to speak about. I think. Yeah, I I think you know. Uh, there are a lot of things down the pipeline. So mm -hmm. if uh, you could just follow along, uh, we'll probably have some other scholarships coming up. Uh, mm -hmm. We're trying, so I guess in a nutshell, we're just a company that is really trying to do good. Uh, it's just that we're in the coffee world. So we're trying our best to do that uh, in the coffee world and trying to be as inclusive as we can, I guess that's pretty much um, what we really want to do as a company. Thanks for listening to Feast Your Ears today. Check out Coffee Project New York, coffeeprojectny.com for online and in-person coffee education, and you can follow them on Instagram at coffeeprojectny. If you're in New York, get yourself a cup at their locations in the East Village, Chelsea, Fort Greene, Brooklyn, and Long Island City, Queens. You can find Feast Your Ears, as well as lots of other great shows, at heritageradionetwork.org, on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please reach out if you have any questions. You can reach me on email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on Instagram, at thefoodballer. Feast Your Ears is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.